What is reality? What is fantasy in their worship? Which is real? What is real for us when we come to church? Do we start our Sundays like the movie portrays? Is that how we roll up to church each week? Well, Solomon, in chapter 5, where you might like to turn with me, he wonders the same thing, believe it or not. He talks about guarding our worship. And the question is, do we have truth and reverence in the worship of God as we arrive each Sunday morning? You might remember that Solomon began this book of Ecclesiastes by talking about the meaningless of our existence. Vanity of vanities, he says, all is vanity. At first he just seemed to be complaining about everything that he was doing, everything in the world. But the more he wrote and the more he writes, we're going to see that he gives us advice about the way we ought to live. And he will continue to do that wise and practical advice about everyday concerns like work and and like finances and like possessions and like death and like time which we've already discussed and now in chapter 5 he addresses us directly in fact he commands us directly about our worship of the true and living God just look at the first part of chapter 5 verse 1 This is the the theme of this particular passage going through to verse 7. He starts with, guard your steps as you go into the house of God. The Hebrew word is to take care. Take care how you come into, how you go into the house of God. Now the context of this passage obviously would involve worshippers walking into the house of God and that would be Solomon's temple. But the reality is what Solomon applies here applies to any place that is set aside for the worship of God. Guard your steps as you come into the house of God. So as we go to worship, Solomon is telling us, take care with what you're doing as you're coming. The New King James Version says, walk prudently. And so as we look at this... we come to the fact that there's a right way and a wrong way to enter the courts of thanksgiving and the gates of praise. And hopefully I've been able to show you through that movie this morning the wrong way to enter the gates of praise to our God. And if we're honest with ourselves, and I'm asking you to be honest with yourself this morning, I'm sure many of us will probably admit that there are times like we, or at times we, like the people in the movie, come to church like that. We get ready, no smiles, no friendly words. We argue, we don't do what we're told. We walk into the church and we say, now it's time to put on our happy face. We've got to be smiling when we come into church. Let's put on our happy face. And then we stand and reverently sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. Is this what God wants from us each Sunday morning as we walk into the house of God? What is reality? What is fantasy when it comes to our worship? Solomon is saying, guard your steps. 
as we go to our place of corporate worship, which we have the privilege of having in this building, walk prudently, walk wisely, be ready, be alert, prepare carefully to come into the house of God. That's the premise of this passage. So why should we guard our steps when we come to the house of God? That's an important question that Solomon will go on to answer. In fact, he gives us three reasons, three important instructions for worshipping God. And the first is in verse 1, listen. Listen so that you will hear what God is saying. I'll read verse 1. Guard your steps as you go into the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they are doing evil. Now there's no doubt in my mind at all that it's vitally important to express our praise to God when we gather to worship him. It's, a, 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 it's great to sing hymns, to sing songs of praise with our lips and from our hearts and it pleases God. It should be a true delight for us to sing the songs we've been singing this morning. The Psalms tell us to shout and sing to the Lord. Most of us could probably be a bit more expressive in doing that, but we are to sing praises to him. However, verse one, in verse 1, Solomon reminds us there's something else we need to do when we worship. We need to listen. Look at the middle of verse 1. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Did a question come to your mind when you read that? I hope it did. What is a sacrifice of fools? Shouldn't we all want to know that? Shouldn't we all want to know what it is so we don't do it? Especially when the rest of the verse says that when you offer a sacrifice of fools, you do not know you are doing evil. So what is a sacrifice of fools? Well, in the context, because uh, we know Solomon the way he writes with couplets and similes, in the context it has to be the opposite of listening. And that is not listening or not paying attention. Coming to church and not hearing God is a sacrifice you have made that's not only foolish but evil. You make that sacrifice, you come to church, but you're not hearing God. You're not listening. The sacrifice of fools is going through the motions of worship without ever getting your mind engaged in that worship. And Solomon says this is evil. Yes, we should express our outward praise by singing, but unless we take the time to hear the voice of God, the praise that we do give will be empty and I don't believe will bring pressure to the Lord. So what does it mean to listen for God in our worship service? How do we listen to God? Well, I think first we need to take the time to meditate, meditate upon God and his truth, but not just during the sermon. I'll get to that in a minute. We ought to be meditating on God before the sermon, before the service, 
during the service, during our time in the Word and after the worship service. You see, the reality is we cannot be listening or drawing near to listen to God before the service if we get to the church 10 minutes late. We can't do that. We can't be expected to walk through that door after the bustling and the hustling of, of, of a busy morning and sit down and expect to be ready to be listening to God. And if we don't take the time to reflect on what God has said through his word and through the songs we've sung after the service, then we're doing a disservice to ourselves as well. We're not listening. We need to understand that whenever we attend worship service like we are this morning, we enter the presence of a holy God who has gathered his holy people to hear his holy word. Why do you think you're here this morning? And with that in mind, we should be getting to the service not 10 minutes late, but 10 minutes early. And the reason we need to be doing that is so that we can settle down and reflect on why we are here. Now, some mornings we start our service with 30 people and by the second song we're up to 50. How can we be listening to God? How can we draw near to God, being ready to listen if we're so rushed all the time? In fact, as worship leaders and what Jordan did this morning... Is it's our desire as worship leaders to help you to, to come to worship and that's why we, we give a call to worship. Our, song, our service leaders give you that word. We open up the scriptures. We, we help you to prepare yourself for worship. But half the time, a lot of the congregation aren't even hearing that. If, you, if you're late, you're missing even the call to worship that the service leader is giving but also drawing near to listen to God should happen after the service. It's just so we can reflect on what just has been said through the word. But more importantly, what are we going to do about what has just been said through the word? We need to put aside time before the service and after the service to listen to God. What about during the service? Do we... How do we draw near to listen rather than offering a sacrifice of fools during our worship time? Well, we certainly need to listen closely to the scriptures. But it's also done through the songs and the hymns we sing. But primarily, the way God speaks to us is through those scriptures. See, the goal from this pulpit in this church, by everyone who stands behind it, is to tell you about a particular Bible passage, to help you understand what that Bible passage means and to talk about how we should respond to and apply that Bible passage to our lives. And so if we're listening to God, we're able to put those things into our lives. In fact, the end result of listening to God is doing what God has said. In the Old Testament times and even in Jesus' time, you weren't listening unless you did what you heard. And then you, listened, you were listening. It's a part of the definition of the word listen. 
When we walk into church on a Sunday morning, it's essential that we listen well so we hear what God is saying. Guard your steps as you go into the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they are doing evil. But Solomon's not only concerned on, with how we listen but also how we speak. He said, listen up in verse 1. Look what he says in verse 2. Do not be hasty in word or, imp- or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God for God is in heaven and you are on earth therefore let your words be few. Now obviously there's a sense in which every word we speak is spoken before God. That goes without saying. If God is everywhere and he is then every word you and I utter goes from our mouth to God's ear. He's always listening and it ought to make us very careful about what we say wherever we are. But in the context of this passage, the phrase in the presence of God refers specifically to public worship. First of all in Solomon's temple and then extrapolating to the 21st century here in our church. Solomon wants us to be careful what we say in worship. When we pray and when we preach, the question is, do we really mean what we say when we stand and worship in the house of God? For instance, do you find yourself singing a song without ever thinking about what it's saying? I wonder if the songs you've sung this morning, you realise what you were promising to God. Sometimes even our prayers can be prayerless. Sometimes repeating pious words does not mean that our words come from a pious heart. We have to be careful what we're saying and Solomon is saying that sincerity is especially important when we worship. When we sing a song of praise, it should be with thoughts of God in our minds and focused on the words and have love in our hearts for God. You see, the God we worship, or dare I say sometimes we pretend to worship, is our sovereign, almighty God who rules the entire universe. And Solomon reminds us of that at the end of verse 2. He says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. To me, that's one of the best Bible verses for putting us back in our place. God is in heaven, we are on earth. And if that's true, and of course it is, then we should think before we speak. Solomon says, let your words be few, and then explains why in a couplet using in verse 3. Solomon, as you know, wrote the book of Proverbs and he uses similars and couplets very often in that book and he has done in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the couplet in verse 3 is, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. Think about this for a minute. When you've been working hard at your job, when something's on your mind and you go to bed, what do you dream about? I remember when I used to work with with Telstra, I'd come home and go to sleep and still continue to work. All my dreams were about my work. For the dreams come through much effort. Usually we dream about what's on our minds and what's troubling us. 
In the same way, Solomon says there's a close connection between foolishness and long-windedness. He says, and the voice of a fool through many words. The fact is it's hard to be wise all the time and the more talking we do, the greater chance we'll say something foolish. And Proverbs, uh, he says that in Proverbs, he says, even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. The voice of a fool through many words in the worship service can be devastating. A good summary of Solomon as what he's been saying so far is, comes from the book of James. James 1.19 says, Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. And that's how it should be in our worship services according to Solomon. But beyond being quick to hear and slow to speak, Solomon also has a third exhortation. It too was on the subject, or was a subject near to James's heart. James says in verse 1, chapter 22, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. That's what James says. And Solomon said it like this in verse 4. He says, When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. In other words, as we come to worship and we tell God we're going to do something, we better do it. In fact, verse 5 says it's better to make no promises to God at all than to make promises we don't intend to keep. And I wonder if we realise the promises we're making in the worship service. In the Old Testament times, people made vows to God all the time. Psalm 50, verse 14, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Psalm 65, 1, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Psalm 76, Make your vows to the Lord your God, and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. And so the point Solomon is making is quite simple. If we make a vow, make sure you do what you say, pay God what you said you would give him. And God expects you to keep your word. So what are some of the promises we make in church? Well, one would be our marriage vows. We vow before God that we will keep them. We say together for richer or poorer until death do us part. That's a vow, a promise before God. Make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Another would be when we dedicate our children to God. During those dedications, the parents make a promise and as a church... As a whole, we all make a promise to help nurture that child in the ways of the Lord. It's a promise we make before God. Those of you who are members of New Community Church, you have made a promise before God to be faithful members for this, to this church, or to the, to the church itself. How have you been going with those promises that you have made? But I want to talk about another way we make vows to God every Sunday and that is when you and I sing. I hope you realise that. 
that when you're singing, the words often include promises to God. For example, sometimes we sing, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. He just made a promise to God. Another line says, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. That's pretty big promises to make. Do we mean the words of the song we sing? I hope so because Solomon gives a very strong warning in verse 6 if we don't. He says, do not let your speech cause you to sin. Do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Sorry, I made a mistake. I didn't mean to sing that line. I didn't mean to make that vow. I didn't mean to make that promise. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Strong words. We need to think about what we sing as we come to our worship services, but more importantly, we need to mean what we sing. And if we sing that song that I just mentioned and I'm not ready to totally commit my life and my finances to the Lord, then don't sing it. This is the best advice I can give to you. Because if you make that vow before the Lord and fail to keep it according to the word of God, we're guilty of sin and fall under the judgment of God, particularly destroying the work of our hands. Don't let, you, don't let your speech cause you to sin, verse 6 says. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Now, it would be kind of embarrassing if the next time we put that song up that everyone started humming instead of singing the words. I can see the embarrassment now. But that would be better than singing a promise you do not mean to keep. Every Sunday we make promises to God in our singing. We did that this morning. What did we sing this morning? I wonder if we can even remember what we've sung this morning. What promises have we sung? Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say, you're my God. We've sung that this morning. I will love and adore him. I will bow down before him and I will live my life for you. Do you know you've sung that this morning? You have made a vow before God that you want to live your life for him. I wonder if we think about it. Too often we don't think about what we're singing. But according to verse 4, when you make a vow before God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. So maybe it's up to Pete and I and Jordan not to pick songs that, that express difficult commitments. Maybe we should be picking songs that says nothing about promising to God. Maybe we need to rewrite the song so they say something like, take my silver and my gold, but I'll keep the folding money. No, we're not going to sing that. Of course we're not. But we do need to mean what we sing. 
Don't make hasty promises before God. Mean what you're saying. It's an important part of our worship as you really think about it, singing those songs. We're only going to go to verse 7 today. And he talks in verse 7 about the heart attitude we ought to bring to everything we say and we do in worship. He says, For in many dreams and in many words is emptiness. Rather, fear God. James Version says, For in the multitude of dreams and the multitude of many words there is also vanity. He gets back to vanity, vanity, all his vanities. And he's talking about now the multiple of many words in our service is just vanity. Here we see the vanity in the idle daydreams and the foolish words of a churchgoer who only pretends to worship without really ever offering our minds and our hearts to God as we come into this room. I wonder if you find yourself daydreaming during the service. For in many dreams there is emptiness. What am I going to do this afternoon? How I need to, what do I need to do to get the kids ready for school tomorrow? What are we going to do after church? Which, where are we going to go for, for eating? What's the weather like outside? What am I going to say at that meeting on Monday morning? And the beauty is, I wonder if the roast is burning. Derek Kidner says, let it burn. Whenever you're churning like an angry ocean, he says, God's truth does not drop anchor. I wonder if we're dreaming during the worship service. Our mind wanders. What about words? For in the multitude of many words, there is vanity. Mumbling the words to crown him as, as you look out the window is not worship. Praying is not worship if we're not thinking about the words that are being prayed when pastor particularly prays for us as a congregation. As the bags go around for money, putting money in, even a lot of money, is not an offering uh, that is not worship. Well, it's not worship if it's not done with a full heart of gratitude to the Lord. See, genuine worship as we walk through those doors each Sunday morning involves meeting with the Lord and when that happens, we will be in awe of God. When we walk into this room on a Sunday morning, our thoughts must go beyond the horizontal. I love the horizontal thoughts of, of meeting each other, greeting each other, saying hello, smiles. Hopefully they're not the smiles of those people in the movie, but the smiles... The, the, uh, the, the warm meeting of each other. There's nothing wrong with the horizontal level, but we must look beyond that horizontal level and we look beyond it to look to God. That's what we're here for. We must focus our attention of our minds. We must focus the effects of our hearts upon God. We must think about his greatness as we come into this place. We must think of his goodness. We must ponder his glory. We must ponder his grace. And our worship leaders help you to do that. That's why you need to be here early. And as Solomon says at the end of verse 7, rather than have vanity of dreams 
and many words, he says, rather fear God. Hold God in awe. What is it to fear God? To fear God is to recognise his might, his majesty. It's to acknowledge that he is in heaven and we're not, we're on earth. It's to understand that he's God and we're not. It's to agree with Psalm 89, verses 6 and 7. Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. And when we come into this place of worship, when we fear God in this way, we'll come to worship with expectancy and awe. We'll be ready to listen to what he says to us during the service. We'll be careful what we say when we sing those songs. And if we sing a vow to him, we will keep that vow. We will limit our speech to words that are pleasing to him. We'll give to God what he deserves, including whatever time or talent or treasure you have promised to give. I too have gone into the book of Isaiah and like Isaiah in chapter 6, as we enter his presence, particularly I'm talking about in the presence of coming into worship, we should find ourselves falling down on our knees before the Lord who is holy, holy, holy. We should be singing with great exuberance those wonderful words that have been penned for us because through our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, we, like Isaiah, have experienced the marvel of God's grace, God's forgiveness and God's cleansing. And as we've heard this morning, our liberation. And so when by God's grace as we come into our worship service, when we truly focus our minds and our hearts upon the Lord, we will become genuine worshippers. Not just pretend worshippers who have had uh, come into this service, you put on your happy face and have this reverence that didn't show before you got here. We want to be genuine worshippers. And my friend, never be content with anything else. Never be content with anything else other than being genuine worshipper. Let's, let's just pray together. Father, we do thank you that we can come into your presence. Even though we're in your presence 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Lord, you have drawn each one of us here this morning into this church that we so grace, you have so graciously given to us. And Father, we want to be genuine worshippers. We want to sing our songs of promise and to make sure we keep those promises. Father, we don't want to have idle words coming out of our mouths or daydreams. We want to fear you. 
Lord, we thank you that even in Solomon's time he had to write about guarding our worship. Lord, help us to guard our worship at all times. To be prepared as we come before you. To listen as we have our worship service. To not speak words that shouldn't be spoken or not from our heart. Father, help us to, by your Spirit, to take away the knowledge of what it means to be a genuine worshipper and so that, Father, we may know what it is that you desire from us through your Word. And we thank you for the Scripture that we read this morning so that, Father, we may not just listen but do it. And we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I invite the musicians back. We're going to sing that song or the song that I alluded to, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Keeping in mind that the end of Solomon's verses here, the end of this discussion on guarding our steps to come into worship is fear God. Let's stand together.